take your Bibles out and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Moving out of this old house. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now I'll tell you what, let's back up even further this morning and uh, go back to verse 16 of chapter 4 because that really picks up the thought that he continues in chapter 5. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, please. Paul said, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Father, we come to you this morning just so filled with gratitude for the plan of redemption that you have orchestrated. That in your grace you have forgiven us of all of our sin. And you've written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And laid up a great inheritance for us in heaven. And Lord, until then, you give us the Spirit that we might have strength and help in this current age. Lord, you have surrounded us on every side by your mercy. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, I pray that we would live as a people who are longing for heaven and longing to see Jesus. That until then, we would be about the master's business. And Lord, as we serve you, we do so in light of the fact that we know that one of these days, we will stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. May we conduct ourselves in holiness and purity so that we might hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, open our eyes and ears and hearts this morning to your truth. 
And I pray through the preaching of your word, it would be your good pleasure to stir faith and commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back many centuries ago, when Spain was the dominant power in the world, and the navy of Spain controlled the seas, of course we know that most of the seas that they controlled at that time would be around the the world of the Mediterranean. But they were so proud of their accomplishments that even on their coins, they put the words, Ne plus ultra. No more beyond. Now what they were referring to was those Straits of Gibraltar the southern tip of Spain and the northern tip of Africa, that little narrow passageway of the ocean that if you continued to sail westward, it opened up to the North Atlantic. And in their boast, they were saying, when you got to Spain, we've explored everything and we've conquered everything, nay plus ultra, no more beyond. Well, in 1492, we know what history teaches us. Columbus sailed the ocean blue and discovered the new world. And so Spain had to go back and strike that first word from ne plus ultra and instead just simply put on their coins plus ultra. More beyond. More beyond. Folks, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's really what we see in our text here, that there is more beyond. That is the hope, the assurance, the certainty that the Apostle Paul is celebrating together with us. It is that same certainty that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. When in Hebrews chapter 11 we're told that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. More beyond. There is more than this life and there is more than this age and this earth. Aren't you glad of that? And again that's what we see here. Now Paul has just stated in verse 18 of the previous chapter that we are to look not simply at the things that are seen but at the things that are unseen. And so there's this natural flow or connection between chapter 4 and chapter 5. In chapter 5 he's just continuing that thought that he's already begun. And he's continuing to show us how the things that are unseen are more worthy of our affections. Now what we learn from our text this morning is the things that are the things that God has prepared for those who know him and for those who love him. As Paul will state, our faith does not spare us from the valleys and the difficulties of life, but as we face the valleys of life, we can do so in the assurance of knowing that there is something far better beyond. Because of that, the entirety of our life is to be lived for the glory of God. 
And all the more so as we see a day of reckoning coming. But for the believer, we know that this day of reckoning will be also a day of reward. I want you to look at verse 1 together with me. The first thing I want you to see with me today is Christian assurance. Paul says, therefore, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice he doesn't say we speculate about this or we guess about this or we're placing some kind of wager on this. He says we know. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 14 when he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Folks, our assurance is not based on wishful thinking. It is based upon the promises of God. And we serve a God who cannot lie. We know that if this tent collapses, and certainly one day it will. The Bible says it is appointed Uh, Under man wants to die and after this the judgment. We all have an appointment with God. Now you may be late for other appointments in your life, but you will not be late for this appointment. King David said in Psalm 139 that God had set a boundary. God knew all the days of his life before he lived even one of them. And so you and I will not prevent this appointment from taking place. Approximately 155,000 people die every single day. And over the span of your life, if you live an average lifespan, that means that you will witness roughly 4 billion people who have died within your lifetime. God has set a boundary on your life and on my life. We have an appointment to keep. And the fact of the matter is you can go on this diet and that diet and you can take this exercise class and that exercise class and you can refuse to do anything that would present a danger to your life but nonetheless our outward man is perishing. I think of what God told Adam back in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3 we read about the fall of man. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They listened to Satan. They disobeyed God. And as a result of that, God judged the woman, he judged the man, and he judged the serpent. Now you'll recall what he said to Adam. He said, Adam, because you have done this thing, you are now going to return to the dust of the earth. You were created from from the earth and to the earth you are going to return. And in the meantime, you're going to labor by the sweat of your brow. Life isn't going to be easy as it once was for you. 
But again, you're going to die and return to the dust. That makes me uh, think of the story about a little girl on one occasion who came running downstairs and she looked like she was just scared to death. And her mom said, what's wrong, honey? And she said, mama, didn't the preacher say that we return to dust? And she said, yes, that's right. God made us from the dust of the earth and to dust we shall return. And she said, well, mama, you better come quickly upstairs then to my room because I was pulling my toys out from underneath my bed and somebody is either coming or going. (laughs) The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And one of these days, the tent is going to collapse. I want you to notice how he compares our life now to a tent. I think there's a couple of things behind that. First of all, remember that Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so he certainly understood the nature of tents. A tent is not intended to be a permanent structure. Likewise, the flesh, human flesh, is a tent. It is is temporary. It is frail. It is weak. It is subject to all of of the frailties of life. And so Paul is making a contrast between our earthly bodies, how they currently are, and what our heavenly body is going to be like one day. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that all flesh is as grass and as the flower of the field. It is here today, it's gone tomorrow. And James said in James 4 that our life is but a vapor. That is all. God has not intended these bodies to live forever the way they are. It may simply be old age. It may be a heart attack. It may be cancer. It may be some other disease. But if Jesus tarries, every single one of us will die of something. And you look back at chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, our outer man is perishing. And so these earthly bodies, like a tent, are only temporary. But there also may be an allusion here to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You'll recall when the children of Israel left Egypt and camped in the wilderness, God gave them instructions on how to set up the tabernacle until they could occupy the promised land and build a temple. And so while Paul has emphasized the contrast between the earthly and the heavenly body, he also gives allusion here, not simply to contrast, but also to continuity. There was a continuity between the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple that they would build because you'll remember, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, both the tabernacle and later the temple were patterned after the heavenly temple. And so if they're patterned after the heavenly temple, whether it was the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple in the promised land, there was a likeness, there was a, there was a continuity between the setup of each of these. And so while our resurrection body will be different from our earthly body, there'll be some likeness to it as well. 
And that's why in the Gospels, when you read about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, when Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room, they recognized him when they saw him. He didn't come in some other form or fashion. They they recognized him as being the Lord. And in fact, he said, here, Thomas, you can can put your hand into my nail scars. And he took food and ate because there was continuity between his resurrection body and his earthly body, even while there was contrast. Contrast being that while he still looked the same, he could pass through the walls. And so there's both contrast and continuity between our earthly body and our heavenly body. Now some commentators think that Paul is referring simply to our future body in heaven. The glorified body that we're going to receive one day. Other commentaries, uh, commentators say no. They believe what the focus is on is not our body but our dwelling. Like what Jesus is saying there in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many mansions. And they think the focus is upon our dwelling, not our body. Well, folks, I don't really see that we have to make a choice between the two. I think wrapped up in Paul's mind, he's probably thinking both and. The glorified body and the the glorified dwelling that we will, will be a part of. Now again, I want you to understand his thrust here. He's pointing out here that when death does happen, this is not the end. In fact, it is a new beginning. Look over at 1 Corinthians 15 with me. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 50. Paul says there, I tell you this brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we're we're not all going to die Because there is going to be a generation alive when Jesus comes back for the church. And so he says here, we shall not all sleep or we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory Old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see what he's saying here, folks? Heaven is not going to be subtraction. Heaven is going to be addition. 
In fact, you could even argue heaven's going to be multiplication. It's going to be that much better than anything we experience here. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be better. This is temporary. Now, if you have ever camped out, you understand this perfectly, right? Now, think about camping in those old, not these nice big old fancy things that are like a home. But the old kind of camping like an old army tent. Is there anybody who would want to live in something like that permanently? I tell you what, you got to be a weirdo to want to live in something like that permanently, right? I mean, it might be nice for a day or two. You know, you, you go without taking a shower and you, you're cooking over a campfire. And, you know, you, now when you kind of get to stinking and the beard begins to grow out, it's, it's sort of time to go home by then, right? You take down the tent and you look forward to getting back to the comforts of your home. Well, that's the the analogy that he's giving here. This home we're heading to is not made with human hands. But as he points out here, it's made by God. It's eternal in the heavens. It's not subject to decay. The glorified body is not going to be subject to decay. And the the heavenly home is not going to be subject to decay. Both down here are. Our bodies now are subject to decay. We age. And our homes here are subject to decay. We have to constantly do maintenance on them. But our heavenly dwelling is eternal in the heavens. That's the assurance that we have. Now, folks, let me point out here something very, very important. That is the assurance you have only if you are in Christ. Only if you're a believer. You see, the Bible says if you're not a believer, there is nothing that remains but a fearful judgment. And the Bible talks about an eternity in outer darkness and a place called hell of eternal suffering. Somebody says, preacher, you ought not scare people with the thought of hell. Well, you know what? That's a pretty good motive to get saved if you're not saved, right? I mean, it's not the only motive. It might not even be the primary motive, but we need to remember uh, Jude. In the book of Jude, he said, save some out of love, some out of fear. So if you think you're going to die and go to hell for all of eternity, that's a pretty good motive to get saved. But if you've gotten saved, if you know the Lord, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have the blessed assurance from God that the moment your earthly tent collapses, you have a building from God. Second principle he wants to drive home to us here. Is Christian trials. Christian trials. 
Pick up reading in verse 2. He says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For a while we are still in this tent. We groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Paul once again begins thinking about this life. He's just talked to us about the assurance we have of the afterlife. Now he's back down on this earth, feet firmly planted on, on this earthly sod, and he's talking about this life. In this life, there are valleys. In this life, we groan. And between verses 2 and 4, he talks about groaning a couple of different times And with this same word, there's different nuances to that word groaning that he's pointing out. First of all, we groan simply because we're longing for our home in heaven. Again, like Abraham, we should be groaning, longing for that city whose builder and maker is God. That's how we're supposed to be living our lives. Like him, we groan. Like Abraham, we groan. We long to be in God's presence. Just like I spoke to you about last week. I don't know how many older Christians I've talked to, especially the ones who have now lost most of their family. Perhaps life itself hasn't been too kind to them of recent years. They say, Pastor, I sure do wish I could go on to heaven. They're groaning for heaven. They're longing. Their heart's desire simply is no longer on the things of this earth. And especially as they talk about the headlines in the world today, they're ready to go. Because sometimes we just get sick of the darkness that is around us. Living in an upside down world where everything wrong seems to be trying to be made right somehow. Where right is wrong and wrong is right. That's the kind of culture that we live in. And so that's one of the nuances behind the the thought here of groaning. We're groaning, we're longing for that better place. But as he implies here too, there's also the more natural type of groaning that we think of. The groaning of the burden of living in a fallen world with a decaying body. We face trials in this life. As every day clicks off the calendar, we face trials. We face the growing effects of a decaying body. You know, as, old, as people get older, they say, Pastors, these golden years ain't all they're cracked up to be. There's not everything about them that's uh, golden. A lot of our day is spent with doctor's appointments or going to various pharmacies. Kind of like visiting Joe Teeter the other day. She was describing some of the pain that she's been going through with that pinched nerve and just the agony that she's been in for months and months and months. 
Somebody says you know you're getting older when it takes you longer to rest up than it did to get tired. You know you're getting older when most of your dreams are reruns. You know you're getting older when your wife tells you she's going out and you don't care where she's going just so long as you don't have to go. Or you know you're getting older when a pretty girl walks by and your pacemaker makes your garage door go up and down. <laughs> Heard about a little boy watching his, mom, watching his mom put on all that white cream all over her face at night. And he said, Mama, why are you always doing that? She says, I'm doing this so I can stay young and beautiful. And he said, well, Mama, when's it going to start working then? <laughs> Now we chuckle at some of those, but we can relate to the aging process. But the resurrection body and our glorified home is not going to be like that at all. As John says in Revelation 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now as Paul says in verse 2, we long to be clothed, not with this flesh that is decaying, but with that glorious resurrection body. But then Paul introduces a thought in verses 3 and 4 that are probably one of the most written about and debated aspects of this whole passage. He says here that we are groaning and we are yearning to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven so that having put that on, we will not be found naked. And then in verse 4 he says we don't want to be unclothed but clothed. Now most likely what Paul is expressing here is that he would, be, he would love to be alive. At the coming of the Lord. When that trumpet blast sounds. And the father says son go get your bride. And the Lord splits that eastern sky. And he comes for the church. The bride of Christ. As Paul says also in 1 Thessalonians 4. In that moment. Those who are alive at the, at the rapture and at the coming of the Lord for the church. Those who are alive are immediate. Now we're not going to precede those who have died and gone before. They're going to be raised. We too will be changed and we'll meet the Lord in the air. And what, what something Paul is expressing here that he would love to have that experience to be alive at the coming of the Lord so that when this tent collapses, he just goes directly from this earthly body to that glorified body. No intermediate state whatsoever. You say, what in the intermediate state? Yeah. The Bible talks about those right now who die before the coming of the Lord. When they die, we bury their body in the earth. But the Bible promises us their soul and their spirit is with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, as he says here in verse 8. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. 
Then at the coming of the Lord, they will be raised first. As I just mentioned, they'll get their glorified body and then we'll be changed, get our glorified body. So now those who have died and gone on be, uh, before us, again, their spirit, their, their body, uh, or their spirit and their soul is with the Lord. They're either in a disembodied state or if they do have some kind of current body in heaven, it's not the complete glorified body that they're eventually going to end up with. It's not that final thing. And so Paul seems to be saying here, again, I wish I could just go on to, from this earth to just bypass death in that intermediate state and go on to heaven in the glorified body. Then he gives a wonderful truth in verses 4 and 5. He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now folks, think of the beauty of what he's saying there. You and I just think we're living now. And I mean, obviously, we are living. But we just, I mean, it, we just think this is life. You want to know what life is? It's that final plan that God has prepared for. Now, that's going to be life. Amen? It's like he's hinting at the fact that if we could only see what's waiting for us, And notice what he says in verse 5. This is what God has prepared us for. I want you to understand what he's getting at here. Back to Genesis 1 and 2 a minute. Remember what happened in Genesis 1 and 2. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. How glorious that must have been. Before the fall... Adam and Eve, in some sense, knew what it was like for God to walk with them in the garden. God has always desired our fellowship with Him. And so the ultimate goal of redemption, the consummation of our salvation, is that we will once again Fellowship with God the way Adam and Eve did before the fall. And it's God who has planned it this way and orchestrated this whole entire thing. And as the down payment of all this, look at what else God has done. At the end of verse 5, He says He has given us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, wow. The Holy Spirit is given to the believer now so that in a very real sense we can experience the presence of God with us even today. But that is just a little fraction. That's a down payment of what it will be like when we are actually in the presence of the Lord. And that's when we're going to experience life to its fullest. And so he goes on to elaborate in verses 6 to 8. You see, he's not wanting somebody to misunderstand. He doesn't want somebody thinking that if you die right now and you, you go out into that intermediate state where your soul and spirit is with the Lord, he doesn't want anybody to think that even that is subtraction. It's not as good as it'll get when you get that 
final glorified body. But nonetheless, it's better than what we have now. Because as he points out, what we have now to be, uh, to be absent, to be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. But to be present, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is far better. Far better. So for those saints that you know, for those family members that you know that have already died and they're in that intermediate state, their soul and their spirits with God. And again, theologians debate, could it be that they have some kind of, some kind of temporary body given to them, you know, even though it's not the final one, maybe so. But what he wants us to see is they are better off than they have ever been before. And so that's our desire, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But until then, please understand the thrust of what he's getting at. Until then, we go through valleys, we go through trials, and he wants us to see even now we are not alone. Because God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I'll pray to the Father, that he'll send another and he will be your comforter, your teacher, and your helper. I will not leave you as orphans, he said. We have the privilege of knowing that even though we might encounter trials living in this life and in this world, even though we go through tough times and trials in life, we have the Holy Spirit with us, as he said in Romans 8, 26, who helps us in our weakness. And as an illustration of weakness he gives there, we don't even know what to pray for sometimes. And so we just have to trust that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. But folks, isn't that great? To know that there at the cross when Christ shed His blood, He was your substitute. He died in your place and He was the propitiation for our sins. The means by which God's wrath was averted and we get grace and life and peace with God instead of the condemnation that we deserve. That happened at the cross. Then in the future when you die or the Lord comes, you're going to be with the Lord. Glorified body, glorified dwelling. All this time in between is a time of continuing trials on this earth. But you are not alone if you're a child of God. He's with you and has given you the assurance of the Holy Spirit who is a down payment of more to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, third thing I want you to see that he talks about here is the result of all this Christian ambition. Look at what he says beginning there in verse 9. He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Well, seeing what our ultimate destination is to be, 
that ought to change our ambition now. Our ambition ought to be to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Because folks, understand this. You have dual citizenship. You are a citizen of two countries. The earthly and the heavenly. Exactly what Paul said to the Philippians. The Philippians, they were citizens of Philippi. And Philippi was a colony there in Macedonia. But because of what they had done on one occasion for the Roman troops, they had had the honor conferred upon them of being a Roman colony as well. And so at Philippi, they were Philippians, but they were also Romans, dual citizenship. Paul told them they needed to live as citizens of heaven. Same for us. We're citizens now of this earth, but we're also citizens of heaven. And so our ambition is to be that we live even now by the the, uh, standards of heaven. We're to live holy. As 1 Peter 1.13 says, Be holy even as the Lord your God is holy. That's our ambition. Now folks, I want to give a clarification here. To be in Christ means when you you die and go before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, you don't ever have to fear condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ has taken condemnation away. For the Christian to face the Bema seat of Christ, you don't have to be sitting there thinking, "Uh Uh-oh, is everything going to be taken away from me? Is salvation going to be taken away from me in that moment? No, salvation is not at stake here. The Bema Seat of Christ that 2 Corinthians 5.10 speaks of is the judgment of the believer's works. It's for rewards. As 1 Corinthians 3 says, some of our work unfortunately will be wood, stay, and hubble. Wood, hay, and stubble. And it'll just be burned up, but other will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And so our ambition is to be good stewards. Salvation does not mean the absence of accountability. You and I will still have to give an account. Remember the church at Ephesus. Jesus said if they did not repent, they were going to have to give an account of their loss of of their first love. The church at Laodicea, if they did not repent, they were going to have to give an account of their lukewarm state. Jesus said, I tell you, every idle word that you speak, men will give an account for on the day of judgment. Salvation does not mean the absence of accountability. And so Paul states here that that whether we are at home with the Lord, Or whether we're in this flesh and away from the Lord. Whatever current state you and I find ourselves in. We're to live in such a way to be pleasing to the Lord. Sometime. 
times, not very often, thankfully, I will have believers say something that is so unscriptural. They'll say, Pastor, just so long as I'm saved by the skin of my teeth. I mean, just so I squeak through those doors of heaven and get in. I don't care where I am in heaven. I can be out... I can be out in a distant corner of it just so I get there. I don't care if I don't have any rewards. I don't care about all that just so I'm saved and get in. That's all that matters. Can I say that is never the way that it is presented in the Bible? In the Bible, every time the Bible speaks of believers standing before the judgment seat, of Christ. It will matter how you've lived your life. Again, not the fear of, of the loss of salvation, but every time the Lord talks about accountability of believers one day before God, in every instance in the Bible that it talks about this, it will matter. It will matter. And so we are to make it our ambition to please the Lord. Now in closing, I want you to listen to this story as told by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is speaking of eternal life, the next great chapter. Now let me set the table a little bit for, for what C.S. Lewis is writing about. It's the final page of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Some of you have read that series. Some of you have seen a couple of the movies. The Chronicles of Narnia. Some of the children who have been to Narnia lament that they once again must return to their homeland, the Shadowlands. But Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus Christ, has the best news of all four. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. Aslam says, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy spoke up and said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslam. You've sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslam. Have you not yet guessed? Well, at that, their hearts began to leap. You see, there was a real railway accident, said Aslan. Your father and mother and all of you are dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The darkness has ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after, after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read. It goes on forever.
And each and every chapter is better than the one before. Amen? Plus ultra. More beyond. Would you pray with me this morning? I want to ask you, are you ready for plus ultra, more beyond? Don't miss heaven. Don't miss heaven. If you know you are not saved, if you know the Holy Spirit of the living God has never quickened your heart to where you've been born again and you've come spiritually alive, To God and the things of God. Make it your prayer right now. God, would you do that in my life, in my heart? I want to be converted. I want to be born again. I want your Holy Spirit to do in me what I can't do. Is that your decision this morning? If it's already been your decision in the past, I want you to understand that whatever struggles, whatever trials you go through right now are not to be compared to the glory that He has waiting. Rely on the presence of His Holy Spirit to help you in your times of weaknesses. There might be some struggles and weaknesses You just want to lay at his feet this morning and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I want you to understand, you can't lose your salvation if you've been truly born again. But perhaps there are aspects of your life that need to be put in order. Because one of these days, there you will be and there I will be. At the Bema Seat of Christ. Is there anything in your life that you know is not pleasing to the Lord that you need to deal with? There's no time like the present. Lord, work your will in the hearts of people right now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.